Okay. So, um, so as the uh, as the title says, the, the, the slide says the title of this lesson is uh, biblical principles for handling money. It probably take us about uh, I don't know four weeks at least to get through it, uh, and uh, you know we'll try to keep it a little slow so that uh, if you have questions, uh, you can uh, you can ask uh, the questions. So um, these are sort of the topics that we're going to look at. I'll just. Uh, do the first two, hopefully today, uh, because you need to really set the basis for this, right? So, uh, before I get into it, you know, I just want to, uh, you know, want to uh, just say a few things uh, by way of introduction. You know, basically, uh, this is a topic that uh, interests people because, uh, of course, money is a big part of what we do, right? So, uh, I mean, money is very important from a worldly perspective as well as from a spiritual perspective, but. Uh, when you look at the human existence, you know, it's all about, uh, been about money. So what is money? Uh, money uh, in economic terms is a medium of exchange. It's something that, uh, you know, man from their very early days, even when you look at scripture, uh, you know, you find, uh, uh, you know, different ways in which people uh, were, um, were buying and selling. And, you know, they, they came up with different ways like the barter system and, uh, where you gave stuff, right? And and uh, there was always a way to measure your value. And of course, now, you know, uh, a few hundred years ago, they came up with paper money or fiat money, as they call it. Uh, and uh, it's just, it, but basically it means the same thing, right? It's, a, it, it's something of value that you can use to exchange, to buy or acquire what you need and, and sell what you need. So, um, but, um, you know, the, um, uh, and maybe today as I, as I was, uh, mentioning in my prayer, you know, people are a little more uh, attuned to this because uh, perhaps we are uh, facing certain, um, uh, you know, economic uh, future, a certain economic future that is uh, maybe very unprecedented, at least in the short term it is. And I don't think any of us, many of us have been through multiple recessions. Uh, most of you would probably remember the last one was the the, the global financial crisis, which happened in 2008-2009. And then those were bad, but uh, none of them sort of just uh, sort of hit us, you know, like all of a sudden, right? Uh, and so, and it didn't, none of them hit sort of the entire, so the financial crisis was mostly banks, which then led to a general economic slowdown, which affected everything, but things didn't just sort of shut down, right? So what has happened in the last couple of months is that you know, life as we know it, commerce as we know it has basically shut down. Travel as we know it has shut down. Uh, and uh, and obviously when everything shuts down, it, it has a ripple effect and, and it's probably going to take some time. But uh, what, what I do want to emphasize is that what we're talking about here in this, uh, in this series is not, um, is not something to give a short-term fix, okay? Um, there is no short-term fix. When you look at... Uh, at whatever whatever financial situation you or I are in today, uh, it's the product of many decisions that we've made. Okay, many financial decisions that we have made over many many years, right? Uh, and those just build up, and and we are where we are. And and what happens is the economic situation is just going to bring some of those to light, some of the impacts. So when things are going okay, you can sort of. Uh, you know, you're able to cover up for wrong decisions, bad decisions, when things start getting hard uh, and say, you lose a job, okay? All of a sudden, for example, if you, if you have accumulated a lot of debt, 
um, you know, just to use one example, over the years and, and typically when we acquire debt, we are sort of presuming that, you know, we're going to have, and, and the way that people, even banks and other entities that, are, that give debt, they measure your capacity for debt as they look at your income, right? And of course, they make a big assumption there that that stream of income is going to continue for a long time, right? For the next five years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever, depending on the length of that, uh, that debt. Uh, the term of the debt, and then they are appropriately assessed, right? So now what happens is that if all of a sudden your income stream is gone, then the debt becomes a problem, right? So the reason you have that issue today is not, while yes, it's it's triggered by the by an economic crisis, the reason you have that is because you got into, you made a decision sometime ago in the past, maybe four years ago, five years ago, to take on this debt, okay, that overburdened you without and presuming that things were going to continue as they as they were, and then when that changed, of course, it creates a problem. Right? So, so we're not going to give you any any uh, any uh, quick fixes, okay? But what we will do is we will go back to the Word of God, okay? So Ravent uh, uh, gave us an excellent message this morning, reminding us that we are citizens of heaven. And I think I want to just spend a minute and just emphasize what that means. Uh, you know, and what that means is that when you're a citizen of heaven, um, you know, the way that we approach every area, okay, whether it's our jobs, our marriages, our finances, raising children, uh, relationships, you know, you name it, every one of them, you know, uh, we need to approach them very differently, right? And the challenge we have is that we are citizens of heaven, yes, but we are sort of placed on the earth, right? So we have all of the influences uh, from the day we are born, you know, whether it's the education system we go through or society or culture, uh, they're all giving us a set of messages on how we handle these things, right? How do you handle relationships? How do you handle family? How do you handle a job? How do you handle education? Or how, how do you approach decisions regarding each of these areas? How do you handle your money? Uh, all of these, there, there are philosophies in the world which we are, we grow up seeing around us. We, uh, you know, we uh, we grow up uh, imbibing all of these, and in fact, buying into many of them, right? But uh, the fact is that, uh, as citizens of heaven, you know, we've got to go back to scripture. And the beauty of scripture is that it speaks to all of these areas, right? Uh, and that's what uh, the crux of Romans chapter twelve, verse one and two is, uh, which says that. Um, you know, uh, you know, that you give your bodies a living sacrifice. And then goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's exactly what I just described. You know, we are people who are brought up uh, and, and uh, engineered to conform to the, the culture of the world, conform to the thinking of the world, right? But when you become a child of God, when you, when you put your trust in Christ, uh, you know, he's not just saving you, as Ravens reminded us again. It's not, he's not just saving you for eternity. Uh, you know, praise God, he's doing that. He's, he's securing our eternal our life in eternity or our eternal life. But he's also, uh, you know, saving us to a different life, even as we are on this earth, right? So, so we have to remember, even as we are planted on this earth for however long he gives us, some it's 30, some it's 60, some it's 90, whatever, Right, uh, we are to transform our thinking, right? And in every area of these, in every area of life that I just mentioned, 
you know, we have to put into practice the things uh, according to the principles of God's word, especially in this area of money. And, uh, and, uh, and when we do that, then we experience peace, we experience joy, uh, we approach things differently, we will end up being very different, our mindset changes, and I do also believe that we will have less, uh, you know, we will not be as, um, you know, as uh, impacted by some of these things that naturally happen in the world, right? like economic crises and things like that. So, um, uh, maybe one more point I'll make is that, uh, you know, what we're talking about here, okay, what we're going to talk about, uh, one of the things that happens whenever I teach this class is people always tend to evaluate it from their own you know, perspective or the lenses that they used to, and that's the economic. Thing. So there's, there's things that I would say where, you know, if somebody was here uh, listening to me who is uh, just an economist or a financial advisor or whatever, he'd probably say, well, that's, that doesn't make any sense. Okay. Uh, you know, it doesn't make sense to pay cash for something. Um, because, and they'll give you all kinds of reasons, valid reasons, okay, based on, based on that kind of thinking. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I just want to remind you what the Lord says, you know, the Lord says, you know, Isaiah, my ways are not your ways, neither uh, are my thoughts your thoughts, okay? So, it, it is a general principle of scripture that God's ways, the ways of the citizen of, of heaven uh, will be very different, okay? And it may not make sense if you're looking at it from the perspective uh, of, uh, you know, of, uh, of, of the world. And, uh, you know, and a lot of what we're going to talk about here, because it's from the Bible, it really will only make sense to someone who is a, a child of God. Okay. As I was saying, you know, the, uh, the, the, what we are doing here is not, the intent of this is not to, uh, you know, make us rich. It is not to rid us of financial problems. Uh, it is not to take care of these short-term issues we might be having, but it is for us to understand as children of God, you know, how should we handle our money, right? Because money is an important part of our lives on this earth. Uh, and, uh, and the Bible speaks so much about it, right? Uh, and, um, you know, the, the most important thing is that you can't just take these principles and think that, you know, you just go apply them and all of a sudden magically everything is going to change, right? What is most important is that, is that you have to first take care of the problem of sin in your life, right? Problem of your salvation. Uh, and then these things sort of come after that. So if there's anybody on this call, on this, uh, on this session, who uh, is here just to learn, you know, let me find out, the, I mean, you know, principal seminars on how to do finances is, you know, dime a dozen. I mean, there's so many of them People, you know, you can probably go on the internet and find videos on this and all this kind of thing. But this, this is very different what we're doing here. So if you are, uh, you know, if you're thinking that you're coming here to learn some tricks or some, uh, you know, tricks of the trade or some uh, tips for how to make money on the uh, on stocks or something, that's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about, uh, about uh, the spiritual aspect of handling money, how by handling money in the way God wants us to handle money, as he explains in, in the Bible, you know, how that will make our life more fulfilling because it is then a life that is more pleasing to God, right? Uh, it is not, it is not a, you know, how, how can we, be, it's not to find out how we can become rich uh, or, or any of those kind of things, but it is to, the, the, the premise of this is how do we 
please God in the handling of our money. Because that's what we're called to do. Is we are, we, are, we are called to do everything we do to the glory of God, right? Uh, and, and, and that includes how we handle our money, okay? So, uh, so we're going to talk about, uh, you know, this first part today. We won't get into uh, the, the practical topics because you really need to, you know, when, as I just mentioned, we're talking about what does the Bible teach. And when we talk about what the Bible teaches, you always have to go back to the, the foundation is always, uh, you know, in the theology, right? There are certain foundational aspects which then, uh, you know, once you get those right, then, you know, when it comes to debt, when it comes to giving, when it comes to spending, when it comes to saving, um, you know, you, you make decisions in all of those areas based on the foundational theology. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about today uh, is that foundational th- theology. And uh, you know, why should we study about money? Okay, uh, and uh, you know, one of the things is, uh, you know, one of the ways to know if something is, of, is, is important, and that's what I love about the Bible. The Bible is a very practical book. It addresses every area of life. Okay? And so when the Bible talks about something, uh, you know, it, it really focuses on things that, that God, because he's God, knows are important to human beings. Okay, are important in the lives of human beings. So, um, you know, there are 2,350 verses in the Bible that talk about money. Okay. Uh, now, I didn't go and count these up, but somebody else did. And uh, I'm thankful for that. Um, but if you just go and look at you know, verses about money, about wealth, about treasure, about all kinds of things. You know, there are 2,350 verses. And in fact, um, this is more than any other single subject. Okay, so you talk about redemption and salvation and um, all kinds of things that are very, very important. It's not, this is not to say that, that, this, that those are less important. Of course, they're probably more important. But, uh, but uh, you know, can you hear me properly? But um, what it tells us is that the Lord knew that we needed instruction on this topic. Okay, so handling money must be an important subject that God wants us to learn and apply or he wouldn't have taught so much. Right? Uh, so, and it is, of course, an area where, as I said, uh, you know, many of we grow up, you know, even from our parents, from society around us and from you know, the marketing. You know, we have some great marketing guys, Ajit there and Charlie and all those guys. I mean, they can sell you anything, okay, uh, and convince you that this is the, the best thing for you in the world. So, so uh, regardless of what you're marketing, uh, the, the field of marketing is about making people, convincing them that they have a need for something, right? It's for creating need. That's the fundamental of marketing. Uh, so I'm not against marketing. I'm just saying. Uh, so when we look at the advertisements that are out there you know, for taking loans and all these things, they make it sound easy. They make it sound attractive. They make it sound like, you know, well, I mean, and they tap into uh, an inherent desire we have for a certain lifestyle, okay? A better lifestyle, a more comfortable lifestyle. Um, and, uh, and so because, you know, our human nature is such uh, you know, we will end up uh, you know, following those principles. Uh, so, and then the final point is that, uh, is that, you know, the way that we use our money and possessions is really a statement of our eternal values, right? 
and in fact, it should be, uh, and, and it is, right? So when you look at somebody, uh, you know, um, if, if you want to know, um, you know, where somebody's values are, okay? Uh, in the old days, nowadays, this, 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 this example of the statement is a little uh, dated, okay, outdated. We used to do all of our expenditures by checks, okay? Some of you guys probably don't even know what a check is, um, you know, because you're all into digital money and Google Pay and all that. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, if, if you really want to know where somebody's values are, go and go through their checkbook, okay? And see where they're, or you take a statement of where their expenses are made, okay? What are they spending their money on? Uh, and ultimately, where we spend our money on, it tells you what your values are. If you're spending a lot of your money on entertainment or if you're spending a lot of money on or whatever, uh, on buying stuff for your kids or you're spending a lot of money on, 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 on you know, housewares, or furniture, you know, uh, all of these things, you know, it tells you that that's where your values are. If you're spending a good chunk of your money on giving to the Lord, on the other hand, that also tells you that you know, this person has got different values, right? Uh, so... How we use our money and how we use our possessions is really uh, ultimately a statement of our values, right? Are they eternal values or are they temporal or earthly values, okay? So why should we apply uh, biblical principles to handling money? Uh, well, here's uh, four, uh, four reasons. Number one, you know, how we handle our money affects our or impacts our relationship or our fellowship with the Lord and our relationship with the Lord. So, um, you know, again, this is really going back to the principle of obedience. Okay? So we think, you know, we are saved. Uh, you know, what, what, why should we obey? If they're saved and they're saved as, as all of us believe, uh, you know, that our salvation is secure. Um, you know, so what if we don't, uh, and there are people who think this way and maybe even, even talk this way. You know, uh, why does it, what does it matter if I, uh, you know, if I don't obey, right? And basically what happens is when you live in disobedience, you can our, go on. Uh, our relationship with the Lord, our fellowship with the Lord can be impacted, right? When we live in disobedience and, and also it can lead to wrong priorities. It can lead to discontentment uh, and, and that in turn impacts our fellowship with the Lord, right? When we, when we don't have the right perspective uh, on money, uh, you know, we can get upset or we can sometimes blame God because, you know, he's not giving us this or that or we have this financial hardship or that financial hardship. Um, so, uh, so how we handle our money affects our fellowship with the Lord. Secondly, you know, possessions uh, tend to compete with the Lord, right? So when we handle our money according to biblical principles, then it allows us to give the Lord the proper priority in our lives, okay? So uh, very often, and if you have to be honest with yourself, uh, it's very true that, uh, you know, possessions compete with the Lord. Okay, let's just take an example. You know, when we, um, uh, you know, when we say spend, uh, we don't have time for the Lord, right? Why don't we have time for the Lord to read and pray and all that? You know, maybe because of our jobs. And why do we have those jobs that use up, that take up a lot of our time and don't give us enough time for the Lord? Well, because we need to uh, earn a living, okay? Or we, or we have this image in our minds that, that, uh, that we have to have this much of an income because we need that much of an income to to buy the stuff that we need, to live the lifestyle that we want, right? And so essentially, we're making decisions in such a way that our possessions are competing with, with, for our time, for our, uh, for our um, uh, interest, 
right? With, uh, with, uh, with what the Lord really should be getting from us, right? Third thing is a lot of life revolves around the use of money, right? So we spend a lot of time dealing with money issues. We spend a lot of time worrying about, uh, about money. Do we have enough money? Have we have enough saved up? Do we, um, do we, uh, do we, um, uh, you know, do we have enough money saved up? Uh, are we going to have enough for this expense that's coming up? Um, you know, am I, am I, am I, um, you know, is my income sufficient for what I need? So a lot of our life revolves around making decisions related to money. So our work is about money. Uh, you know, when we talk about any decision we make, like, you know, I want to buy something. I'm, I want, should I spend money on this or that, right? Again, it involves money. So, uh, you know, from the time, you know, from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed, a lot of our life revolves around it, okay? Uh, and then finally, you know, why should we apply biblical principles? Because, um, you know, to the area of handling money, because uh, handling money based on biblical principles can bring us a more fulfilling relationship with the Lord. Okay? This, is, this to me is the bottom line. So what we are doing here is not, as I said, I'll emphasize it again, it's not, you know, about us being self-sufficient. It's not about us being, it's not for the purpose of us earning more or saving more or anything. It is for the purpose of us having a more fulfilling relationship with the Lord. It is for us to be more um, conformed to the image of Christ, right? Which is the whole process of sanctification. So you are now, if you are a saved child of God, you are, you've started the journey of sanctification. You're going to ultimately be glorified, right? Uh, you know, and, 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 and be saved from the presence of sin. But between here and there, okay, you're going through this process of being changed, being more conformed to the image of Christ. And, and if you don't change your attitude towards money, then, um, you know, you can't, uh, you know, you, you're really, that's something that's lacking in that life, right? So when you look at, um, we'll come back to this, you know, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the ways of the world, the ways of man are very different, right? So there's two approaches to, uh, to handling money. One is man's way, which says that God doesn't play a role in the handling of money, okay? And my happiness is based on being able to afford my desired uh, standard of living. Okay, what does God say? I already talked about this. What does the word of God say? Isaiah 55 verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Okay, Isaiah 55 8. Um, and uh, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, he says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Okay, uh, so we got to learn God's way is learn to be content. Okay. Uh, no matter whether you have a lot of money or you have less money, learn to be content. Okay. So, and then as you learn to follow, learn and follow the scriptural principles, um, you know, of how to handle money, you will draw close to Christ. You will become more Christ-like and you learn to be content in every circumstance. That's what we even talk about today is, uh, is some of these base, you know, foundational principles. Okay. Um, so uh, 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 with, that, with that sort of introduction, let's go and look into the first uh, lesson, which is uh, what is God's part in handling money, okay? And again, as I said, these are the theological foundational principles. You might wonder, what does this have to do with money? But it does, and you'll see that as we go through. So the first part, you know, there are, uh, there are three things, okay? Three key principles about God's part, okay? And these don't necessarily... These are not limited to money. These are just coming from 
the, the nature of God. So we're doing a little bit of theology here, uh, you know, ownership, which is that God owns everything. Okay. So there are a lot of verses here. And by the way, I have, I have some detailed notes that I'll send you uh, later. Um, so if you're not taking notes, that's okay. Uh, so Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. Okay. The Lord is the creator. He is the owner of everything. And we have to understand this, that there is nothing in the world that the, uh, that the Lord doesn't own. Um, Haggai 2 verse 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord. Okay, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills, uh, Psalm 50 and verse 10. So uh, secondly, to be genuine followers of Christ, you know, we have to transfer ownership of our possessions to the Lord. Okay, so why do we, uh, and this is something very difficult to do, okay, we think that we own everything. Okay, we own all the stuff. After all, you know, I worked hard to make the money. Um, you know, it's like a conversation I have with the kids, you know, when the kids fight over a toy or whatever, you know, so why are you fighting? Well, because he took my toy. You know, so I usually have this conversation with him. I said, who said it's your toy? Uh, well, it is my toy. I said, well, did you buy it? Did you pay for it? Did you make the money to, did you earn the money to go and buy it? Uh, well, then if you didn't, then it's not yours. Right. So, so it's the same principle here, you know, uh, whether it's our house or our car or our sofa set or whatever, our clothes, um, you know, we have to transfer possession. We have to understand that God is the owner. And, and, and how, what does that mean? It's not like, you know, sign a document or something, but it's the, our attitude towards that. Okay. Um, and uh, I'll give you a little example of this, but, uh, you know, but, um, um, you know, when you look at, uh, when you look at uh, what God calls us to do, right? Uh, in Luke 14, 33, he says, no one can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Okay, now what was the Lord saying? Was he saying you got to take all your possessions, your clothes and your, your, your shoes and everything and get rid of it? No. Okay, he has, you have to give up ownership of your possessions. Okay, you have to realize that everything I have is from God, right? It's not anything that I, I have a right to, you know, it comes from God, it belongs to him, right? Uh, Abraham, right? Abraham was told to demonstrate his willingness to give up his most precious possession. What is, and God sort of, you know, when, uh, you know, in that chapter in Genesis, when God is calling Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, he says, he says, Abraham, you know, God called Abraham and he said, Abraham, uh, I want you to take your son. Okay, uh, now, uh, you know, Abraham had two sons. Okay, now, if God had just said, your son, you know, maybe he would have taken Ishmael, right? He says, uh, you know, your, your beloved son, right? And, and then he names him and says, your beloved son, Isaac, right? So, so uh, again, uh, why did God do that? He wanted to test Abraham to see if he was willing to give up what was his most precious possession, the son uh, of the promise. And... Uh, <laughs> was he willing to give it up as a test of his obedience to God, right? So acknowledging God's ownership makes every spending decision as a spiritual decision, okay? So when we acknowledge God's ownership, why is this important as a theological principle? You know, it's because, um, you know, we, um, by doing that, you know, whenever we are spending, you ask God, okay? So it's not my money. It's not money that I earn. 
and therefore I have a right to spend it on whatever I want. But I go back to the Lord and I say, Lord, this is your money, belongs to you. You gave it to me. Please help me to understand, uh, you know, should I go and spend it on this? Or should I go and spend it on that? Or should I not spend it at all? Right? Um, so, you know, the, the uh, and, and it's interesting that, uh, you know, over time I talked about worldly principles, but there are also some wrong principles in the church <coughs> when it comes to this, right? So one of the, the unfortunate principles that has that seeped into the church and thinking of, uh, of, of believers is this notion of the tithe, okay? We'll talk more about that later. But what I, what I say wrong, when I say wrong, what I mean is that because we have, we have sort of institutionalized this thing of the tithe, you know, we think that only 10% belongs to the Lord. Okay, okay, I've set aside my 10%, you know, done. Lord's peace is taken care of. Now the 90 is for me to do whatever I want with, right? That's a wrong thinking even within the church. No, the, the theological principle, the biblical principle is that God owns everything, okay? <laughs> so recognizing God as the owner of all of our possessions is the first step to learning contentment. So if you believe that you own uh, a possession, then you know everything about that possession will be reflected in your attitude, okay? So here's a little funny, uh, this is about as creative as I could get. Uh, but let's say your attitude is that you own something, okay? You own your car, okay? There's a very fancy car there and you're driving it and, you know, enjoying it. Oh, look at this beautiful car. You know, I got the roof down and I'm enjoying the, you know, well, what happens when the car breaks down, right? Uh, you know, when, when good things are, when things are going well with your possession, you know, you're very happy. Right? But when bad things happen, then you start worrying. Oh my goodness, look at all the money I'm going to have to spend to repair the engine, the radiator is burnt out. You know, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Right? So your attitude changes, the fruit of the spirit goes out the window. You know, you're not patient, you're angry, you're worried, you're discontented, you're mad at God, you're mad at yourself, you're mad at your wife, uh, you know, who distracted you so that you did something wrong, whatever. Okay, you're mad at your kids, uh, you know, you're mad at the world, right? Well, that, that just shows that, you know, uh, how, how your sense of ownership affects uh, your attitude towards your possessions, right? But <laughs> you believe that God owns it. Now, here's an example of a um, well-known preacher, John Wesley, right? So, so John Wesley had a house, right? So, uh, you know, if you give up ownership of your possessions to God, then your happiness is not tied to what happens to that possession, okay? Uh, as Job said, you know, the Lord gave it, the Lord take it away, blessed be the name of the Lord, right? Even your, your, your wife, your, your spouse, your children, your wealth, your parents, whoever, <coughs> okay? Uh, you don't own them, okay? They are a gift that God owns, that God has given to you to enjoy for a time, and he can take them away anytime, right? So if you give up ownership, then your happiness is not, tied to what happens to that possession. So we have this example of John Wesley. He had a house, okay, that he lived in. And uh, one day, you know, there was a fire and this house burned down, okay? It literally burned down to the ground. So what did John Wesley have to say about that? He says, well, the Lord's house burned one less responsibility for me. Praise the Lord, okay? So, uh, you know, that's one less thing for me to worry about if I 
you know, if I had the house, I had to worry about all these things related to the house, keeping up with the house and, you know, making the mortgage payments, all these things. You know, now, great. It's not my problem anymore, right? Uh, so it's, 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 it's really important that we have this attitude of uh, the, the understanding and we exhibit it in our daily life that everything we have, everything we will ever have, okay, it belongs to God, right? He is the owner <coughs> of it, right? So you don't get upset when you do something. You don't get too thrilled when you get something, okay? Always praise the Lord, thank the Lord when he gives you something, when he gives you some little pleasures that, uh, you know, that uh, that you maybe had a great desire to, to have, the Lord provides, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord, right? But if the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord still, okay? So that's that's number one is ownership. Okay? The second point is about control or, you know, to speak theologically, the sovereignty of God over everything, okay? Now, why is this important in, in the study of money? Um, it's because, you know, um, yeah, because, you know, when we get upset about financial things or when things go wrong in our life, okay, as believers, it's very important. Uh, it's not just about money. It's anything that's going wrong in our life to go back to this principle uh, of the sovereignty of God, right? God is sovereign. Um, you know, he is in control of everything. Every circumstance, whether good or bad, right? And there are a lot of verses, Psalm 135, verse 6 says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does <coughs> in heaven and in earth, okay? Uh, and even not just the psalmist, but you take Nebuchadnezzar, you know, uh, Benji was uh, giving us an example of Nebuchadnezzar this morning from the book of Daniel. In Daniel 4, he says, you know, Nebuchadnezzar says, I praise the most high, okay? And here's the heathen king saying about God, he does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Right? No one can question anything because he's absolutely sovereign. He's absolutely in control of everything. Okay? Um, Isaiah 45, verse 6 to 7, I am the Lord and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Nothing happens even COVID-19, even the economic recession, uh, none of this happens, um, you know, without God having some purpose, without God ultimately being in control, right? And then, uh, and again, the reason why, why this, this is important is, is because, you know, we need to understand the purpose of difficult circumstances, okay? Sometimes, you know, I might follow all of these principles, <laughs> okay, I might be following all of these principles, but that doesn't make me or you immune to difficult circumstances, right? So Romans 8.28, God works all things for good to those who love him, right? So why, why does he, uh, why does he go allow, why does God allow difficult circumstances in our life? Why does he allow financial difficulty in our life? Some of you might be getting faced with financial difficulty today, okay, or, or you're about to be, right? Or you're looking at your balance and you're, you're saying, you know what, uh, I can only go for two more months. I only have enough money to pay the rent for, for two more months. You know, remember that, that widow, right? Uh, the widow who had come to the prophet and, uh, and, 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 and say, you know what, we are, we are about to eat. You know, her oil had done, run out, her flour had run out, right? We are about to make one last meal and eat it. And then me and my son, uh, we are going to die. We're going to get prepared to die, okay? Um, you know? Why does God allow these difficult circumstances? Why does he not keep us immune from difficulties when we are living faithfully, when we are 
doing all the right things. We are following all these principles, you know, uh, and, and, and the reason I keep pointing this out is again, you know, when you go through difficulties, just go back to this core principle, scriptural principle, which is God is in control. Okay, God is sovereign. So why does God love difficult circumstances? Well, it is to accomplish his intentions. Okay, God has a master plan that none of us have any idea what it is. Okay, uh, so it's like we just get to see like a segment. You know, it's like, uh, you know, uh, you know, Sujay is an, an architect. You know, when you look at those architectural drawings, right? Um, you know, if you look at, you know, you get this little architectural scheme of, of all the plumbing or all the... Um, all the uh, electrical connections and all that. And you look at some of those, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So you just take one segment of it, you know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? It's only when you see the whole picture that you understand why the plumbing has to go that way. Well, it's because that's where the bathroom is. So that's where the, you know, whatever, right? So, uh, you know, God has got this master plan uh, for, for how everything is to be, to, to consummate his plan for the ages. Uh, he's got that ultimate plan where he's going to defeat Satan and, and he's going to, you know, he's going to form his kingdom and, and all these kind of things. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and all of these, these events that are happening, even events in my life and your life, you know, we might think it's insignificant, but, but it's all part of his plan, right? Take, for example, the life of Joseph, right? In Genesis, you look at Joseph. I mean, when Joseph was going through, I mean, you, we could, uh, you know, if, if you were Joseph going through, uh, you know, going through the experience he went through, um, you know, you would you would think that life was very very unfair. I mean, you know, Joseph was a was a faithful kid. He did what his father told him, and what his brothers do, they threw him in a pit, right? And they sold him to this thing, and then he went to Egypt, and, and he was always a faithful worker. Uh, you know, he he uh, you know he was um, a godly a godly young man, right? Uh, you know, he was he did so well there that he was given charge of it, and then what happens? You know, he gets seduced by Potiphar's wife and he gets thrown into jail. And even there, he goes into jail and he becomes a favored prisoner, you know, and given all this responsibility. <clears throat> and he interprets a dream and then he tells that, uh, you know, the butler and the, uh, the baker and the butler, he's to tell him, you know, remember me when you go to Pharaoh, okay? And the guy goes to Pharaoh, he gets restored. He forgets about Joseph and Joseph is languishing there again. Uh, you know, so if you're, if you're Joseph at that point in time, you would be thinking, you know what, I've done all the right things. I've had the right, even, even as a prisoner, you know, I'm faithfully serving here, um, you know, and, and I'm doing all these good things. And, you know, I, I was an innocent guy in my mind, you know, my, 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 my intentions were good. And then I get, you know, accused of, of doing something to my master's wife, falsely accused, right? Life is unfair. Uh, why do I have to go through this? And then, but then we come to the end of Joseph's story. You know, what does, uh, what does um, Joseph say to his brothers? He said, he said, whatever you did to me, you meant it uh, for evil, but God meant it for good, right? So God wanted to get Joseph over there in the court of Pharaoh as his prime minister or whatever his chief advisor, uh, you know, to preserve uh, food, you know, so that to preserve his own people from whom the Messiah would come, right? Um, uh, so that, you know, Jacob and his children the, 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 would be able to come and, uh, and have food and dwell in the land of Egypt in the midst of a global famine, you know, almost like a global pandemic that we're talking about today. So even in the midst of these pandemics, there are things that God might be doing. Maybe he's causing us to lose our jobs so that we move somewhere. 
okay uh, so that maybe so that we depend on other people so that we are humbled i mean there's all kinds of things that he could be doing right uh, he could be doing it to to develop our character romans 5 3 and 4 says that you know that trials and, and difficulties trials and tribulations they build character okay he might be doing it to discipline and encourage us to abandon sin maybe there is sin in our lives right that we need to examine maybe it's because of us to self examine how we are handling money our attitude towards money our attitude towards life and what we're doing maybe we're going in a wrong direction he's trying to bring us back to uh, you know back onto the highway um, you know so uh, hebrews 12:6 it says you know the chasing uh, of the lord it seems it's difficult when you're going through it but but he does it for a purpose okay ultimately for good so <clears throat> god owns everything number 2 uh, god is in control of all circumstances okay now <clears throat> um third third point about god's part is that god is the provider okay god is the provider he uh, his part in handling our money is to provide for our needs and god has promised right matthew 6:33 seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you as yes, people misinterpret this passage they <clears throat> they they just look at all things and say oh that means you know especially some charismatics and all these things you know what is all the things you know, go back and read look at it in context you know he's talking about the birds of the of the air and, and uh, you know and, and the flower of the field and he's talking about food and clothing he said with these we shall be content right timothy says i mean paul says in timothy okay so he's talking about the things meaning the basic needs of your life okay um you know the the lord the provider jehovah jireh okay um you know psalm 37 verse 25 says that i have never seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread right god is a provider he provided manna to the children of israel for for 40 years right so god is faithful to provide for our needs but but we have to understand one thing that he is predictable and faithful to provide okay but he never says that i am going to provide it suddenly he never says i'm going to provide it for you by giving you a lot of money or i'm going to provide it for you by giving you a cushy job or um you know he didn't say how he just says you know he provided food for for elijah how by by the by a, a raven right a raven brought food to him every day for all that time that he was hiding in that cave from the queen jezebel right so so it's important for us to understand that god has and have underlined that word needs okay and this is something we need to really understand okay uh, we must be content when our needs are met okay and this is very very important distinction what are needs and what are wants okay and i can tell you like 90% of all the stuff that we have are not needs they are wants okay there are things that we can do without and i'm not saying that we don't necessarily spend on wants again every decision has to be a spiritual decision right but um, but what what are needs needs are very simple the basic necessities of life okay food uh clothing and a shelter okay um and uh, and and all god has promises that he will provide us for this right so first timothy 6:8 you know it tells us that you know with these if we have food and covering covering for your body covering for your for yourself right which should be which should be clothing and shelter uh, the basic necessities of life are food clothing and shelter okay and anything that's more 
then a need is a, a want. So if we are getting, if we're getting enough food, whatever that food is, okay, uh, even the simplest kind of food, you know, last week in the Q&A, uh, we were talking on Saturday about, you know, about, uh, you know, switching to vegetarian or chicken as, as Ajit was pointing out, maybe chicken is cheaper than vegetarian. I don't know if that's true or not, but, but regardless, the point is that, you know, he has not promised us that we are going to have a steak dinner every night, okay, or beef every night, okay. Um, you know, he has not promised us that, that you can have the most expensive clothes, okay, uh, and he has not promised us that we can live in a mansion, okay. So if, if that is our desire, then, then we are seeking far more than, than, uh, than what is uh, our basic necessity. Okay? Now, of course, you know, you cannot be, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be dogmatic about all these. And, and uh, you know, I'm not saying that, that God uh, wants all of us to, you know, live in a slum or something. Okay, uh, maybe that will make do. That's, that's not the intent. That's not what we see in scripture. But, but it just comes back to the attitude. Okay. It, it's, it's that even if we can afford it, if God has given us something to afford, you know, take housing, for example, then maybe, maybe I can afford to have a you know, six bedroom house. Okay. But is that really what I need? <laughs> and I always cite these examples of some of my friends in the, in the United States where, you know, there's this concept in, in us culture called the, the American dream. Okay. And American dream means, you know, you got a nice job and you make so much money and you've got a house, you have to own your house. So critical part of the American dream is to own the house, you know, and then when you own the house and you have a, two cars, then you're living the American dream. Okay. And then problem with the American dream is that the dream keeps, keeps getting bigger and bigger. Okay. So I may start off with a, with a two bedroom house very soon. It's got to become four and then five. And then I got to have a swimming pool and, you know, or, or I'm just stuck and not really living the American dream. Okay, so God doesn't promise us any of that, but our attitude needs to be, you know what, I'm not going to go and go after or desire even anything more than what I need. Okay, now if I have a big family, like I do, you know, I have a need for a bigger house than some of you with one kid. Okay, um, you know, of course, when my kids all go away and grow up and they go on their own, I don't need to keep that big house simply because that's my status and you know for how can I go and live in a smaller house right so uh, needs change over time right uh, needs change based on circumstance uh, needs change based on what gives what God gives but uh, but it's all about our attitude okay so God wants us to be content when our needs are met so first uh, Timothy 6 8 again says if we have food and covering with these we shall be content so as you're going through this time maybe you know, difficulties, you might have to downsize. Okay, You might have to, uh, you know, go from a two bedroom to a one bedroom or live in one room of somebody's house. You know, you got to be content as long as you have a place. You know, you might need to downscale the kind of food. Maybe you don't eat meat uh, six days a week, but you eat it one day a week. Okay, you got to be content because, you know, as long as you are, you're getting food to, you know, to make sure that you don't starve. Um, so regardless of Philippians 4, Oh, nine. Uh, you know, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches. Again, that verse is given in the context of contentment. Paul, right before that, in verse 7 and 8, he says that I have learned to be content in every circumstance. I've learned to be content when I'm full and when I'm hungry, when I'm, you know, in abundance and plenty and when I'm in want. 
Okay, in all circumstances, uh, I have learned to be content and my God shall supply all your needs. In fact, he was talking to the Philippians and commending them for giving, okay, giving sacrificially to, uh, you know, to the needs of some other believers who were going through a difficult time. Okay, they were not that well off, but sacrificially they gave. And he says that, you know, because you have given, okay, I, I encourage you to be content in whatever you have, just as I have been. Raven talked to us about it. That was Philippians chapter 3, right? Follow my example. Right? And he says, if you do that, then my God should supply all your needs according to his riches. So, so we, we can be as believers, we can be assured that God will provide. Okay? Uh, we need to not worry about it. We need to, and yes, I know it's very tough, uh, you know, when you're faced with um, salary uh, Reduction, salary cuts, when you're faced with not getting that bonus, when you're faced with maybe even losing your job when you're running a business and, they, and you only have bank balance to cover you for two, uh, two months or whatever, okay? Um, God will provide. You can be assured of this, okay? That God will provide because remember, He's the owner of everything, He's in control of everything, and He has promised to provide you your needs, okay? So He will provide at just the right time the resources necessary for us to fulfill the purpose and calling that he has for each of us. Okay? And, and um, see, the, the, when, you, when you look at some examples of, uh, of folks like, uh, you know, I mean, Rabicha and Nasha, they can share a lot of stories if you have time to sit down with them of how, you know, in the most uh, dire of circumstances, how God provided at just the right time. You know, people who are in full-time work, they have to literally experience this because they don't have a paycheck coming every month. You know, we all get comfortable with our paycheck coming every month. We, we calibrate our lifestyle according to that paycheck that comes every month. Uh, we, we assume and we plan ahead uh, knowing that the bank back. Uh, and so what happens over time is that our reliance on God uh, becomes less and less, right? And, and we, become, we become reliant on our own uh, you know, on that income coming, on that paycheck coming in, so that that's gone, you know, then we don't know what to do, right? And we have not gotten used ourselves, used to trusting in God, not not gotten used to provide for our needs, right? We just become very used to spending on whatever we need to spend or always having money. And then when the difficulty comes, of course, it's, uh, you know, it, it causes, uh, you know, immense tension and, and, and all kinds of emotional stress, for all of us, right? So, so when it comes to God's ways, you know, uh, uh, God's ways are two approaches to dealing with possessions. Okay, man's way says, well, and I control everything. Okay? Or I, I want to control, or I have to control everything. And if I can control and plan, then, you know, of course, then I, I start worrying about it, right? Whereas God's way is that whatever I possess, God owns, he's the sovereign living God who controls all the theological underpinning for everything else we're going to talk about is understanding, you know, the theology of God in terms of uh, the uh, our part. Now, you know, we talked about God's part. So, so what is our part? Right? So, what does it mean for us, um, you know, in handling money? So, uh, so God is the owner. God is the one who controls everything, and God is the one who is going to provide or, or has promised to provide. So, what is our part? Okay. Uh, and you can summarize this in, uh, in, in, in sort of two words. This is faithful stewardship. Okay, so what is a steward? Okay, a steward is someone who 
is a manager, okay, a manager or a supervisor with the responsibility for taking care of somebody else's possessions, okay? Now, uh, you know, you take, for example, you know, I, uh, you guys know I've got a, a pretty high up job in a corporate setting, okay? Uh, you know, I've got a huge budget that I manage and the targets and everything, and we spend a lot of money, okay? So we spend money on people's salaries, we spend money on buildings, we spend money on all kinds of things. And on the one hand, you can say that, you know what, I have the authority to, to uh, I might think that I have the authority to spend this money any way I want. Okay, but in reality, I don't. And the reason is that, is that none of that money belongs to me. Okay, that money belongs to the uh, shareholders of the company. Okay, the owners of the company. And the owners of the company, you know, through the board of directors and through the management has given certain uh, directions on how I should spend the money, how I should earn money and how much of profit I should uh, generate and how I should manage the expenditures in order to generate that, right? So I am a steward, okay? I am a steward who's given responsibility within certain directions. And that direction is every year, you know, once a year we sit down and we, we have certain targets. Uh, our shareholders expect this much from us this year, Okay, and here's how we work backwards and, and say, okay, we need some revenues. We need some, we need to spend some money to earn those revenues. We need to generate this much of profits. And that becomes what's called a plan for the year. Okay, and that plan is like, you know, my instruction book. Okay, my instruction book for, for conducting the affairs of the business for the rest of the year. Now, the owners are not, the owners, the shareholders are not sitting over my shoulder every day saying, well, no, you should do this do that that's not practical right so that's why they've given responsibility to me as a steward to manage that piece of the business okay and they have the same thing they've done with other people in other parts of the business right um, but i have the responsibility because all of this belongs to somebody else okay? it doesn't belong to me right and uh, uh you know and 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 uh, oops so in first corinthians 4 2 it says that a steward in it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So being faithful means handling the somebody else's possessions according to the desires and in the best interests of the owner. Okay. So I have to handle the money that comes in. I have to handle my spending decisions and in such a way that I'm doing it in the best interest of the shareholders of the company. Right. And being faithful requires knowing how to handle your responsibility. So, uh, so what does that have to do with us handling money? Basically, go back to the principles of ownership, right? God owns everything, okay? Now, if God has given, as Bishwa said, 20,000 a month, okay, or 2 lakhs a month, whatever he's given you, uh, or 10 lakhs a month, whatever, okay? Uh, that is a portion of his wealth, okay, that God owns, that he's given to you. And, and he's telling you, please go, you know, take care of this, in my best interest and my best interest, you know, according to my instructions, I've given to you my word. Okay. So, so, uh, you know, how can you be a found a faithful steward of possessions by following the instructions in his word? So the Bible is the manual for the faithful steward of God's money. That's why we're studying this, right? And that's why I said, you know, if, if you're coming to this class with this intent that, you know, I'm trying to be financially self-sufficient and, uh, you know, going to do all these things so that I have a comfortable life. No. Okay. You are in this class 
to learn how to be a faithful steward of God's possession. Okay, he has loaned it to you. He has given it to you for a time. Okay, God gives, God takes away. He might decide now. He might decide if you're faithful to give you more. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay, or he might decide to take it away from you because you don't know what you're doing. Or he may give you less of it. Okay, but anyway, that's not our job. That's God's job to decide how much to give us. Okay, our job is simply just to be faithful. Okay, be a faithful steward of what God has given us. Okay, go back to that example in my company. You know, if I don't, if I'm not able to manage the business and I mismanage the business, then what happens? Okay, uh, you know, they're not going to give me more responsibility. They're not going to give me promotions. They're not going to reward me. Uh, they're going to uh, not give me, uh, you know, as much of compensation. Okay, but if I'm faithful, maybe they'll give me some of that, right? Uh, but ultimately, it, it, it all depends on how well you handle the, the possession, their possessions that have been given to you, right? So, what does uh, what are the elements of a faithful steward? Okay, number four, four things. Sorry, four things here. <clears throat> okay, uh, and pay attention to these. Number one, you have to be faithful with all your resources. Okay, so not just 10%, but with 100%. So uh, we have to be faithful stewards and handling 100% of the money that God has given us. Okay, so, uh, you know, uh, very often we don't do, we don't do this, you know, because we don't have the knowledge of, of how to handle money biblically. And so, you know, we make, we have, we build up wrong attitudes. Uh, and we make incorrect decisions, which can lead to painful consequences, right? Um, secondly, you have to be faithful regardless of how much you have or how much we have, okay? So whether God gives us a little or he gives us much, okay? Don't worry about what others have. You know, very often we, uh, we'll think about, um, you know, uh, we look at, I mean, you just take believers, okay? <clears throat> God gives different people different, uh, you know, different amounts Money. Okay, he gives people different jobs, he gives them different income, he gives them different sources of income. Some he gives more, some he gives less. Uh, you know, go back to the, the first three points we studied about God, right? God is in control. Okay, he's the one who decides. But regardless of how much he gives you, he holds us accountable for that, right? So you look at the parable of the talents. Uh, you know, the <coughs> you know, God gave uh, Jesus has told the parable of the talents that. The master gave five talents to one person, two talents to another, and one talent. Okay, now, got the one talent, he could be thinking, hey, what did, you know, I've got, you know, more capability than that guy. I'm smarter than him. Why did he get five and why did I get one? Okay, why did that guy get two? Why did I get one? Okay, but all of them were held equally accountable for managing what was given. So the guy with the five, he made 10 out of it. The guy with the two made four out of it. You know, but the guy with the one, you know, he did nothing with it, right? He buried it in the ground and brought it back and earned nothing. And and God says, you're a foolish servant, right? So um, it doesn't matter how much, you know, the, the more he has given you, you know, the more accountable you are, right? So God holds us all accountable regardless of how much he has given us, okay? So whether you have a little or a, a lot, uh, you are accountable regardless of how much you have. So you cannot, uh, you know, just sit there and think, uh, you know, that guy there, he's earning, you know, that brother or that sister, they're earning a lot more money. Uh, and look at them, they don't give enough. Okay, that's between them and God. Okay, 
even if he's given you a lot less, question is how are you being faithful in handling that little that he's given to you? Third principle, you've got to be faithful in little things. Okay, so Luke 16.10, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust in much. Okay, we have the character to be faithful in small things. The Lord knows he can trust us with greater responsibility. You know, sometimes the Lord will bless us, you know, with more. Okay, and that's not just about money, but in anything. You know, when we are faithful. So if he's given us uh, a gifting, you know, let's say, let's forget about money. Say he's given us a gift or a talent, right? Uh, and we use, and, you know, we might not be the most talented person in that in that area, uh, you know, but if we use it for his glory, you know, then he will, he will bless that, right? And he will increase the fruit uh, of what we are doing, right? So we have to be faithful uh, with all our resources. We have to be faithful regardless of how much we have. And we have to be faithful in the little things of life. All right. Okay. Faithfulness with, uh, finally, we have to be faithful with the possessions of others. So, you know, we must be faithful because, uh, you know, it determines, uh, it, you know, the, the um, uh, you know, just go back to Luke 16, 12. You know, if you have been, if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? <clears throat> right. So God sometimes gives us responsibility for, things uh, at our job, right? Whether it's using some of their stuff or whatever equipments and things like that, you know, we have to be faithful in that. So these are, these are just the, the principles or elements of what does a faithfulness in a steward looks like, right? He's faithful with everything. He's faithful regardless of how much he has or she has. He's faithful in little things, you know, and faithful in with the possessions of others. Okay. So what are the results of, of uh, being a faithful uh, steward? Okay, number one, it builds character. Okay, so God uses money to build our character. So if you're faithful in handling your money, your character is built up. If you're unfaithful, you know, then uh, it tears down your character, right? So, you know, the, uh, the uh, you know, there's a verse in Timothy that says, you know, the, the, the root, the love of money is the root of all evil, right? So we are not to love money so much that we desire it, we want to possess it, we want more of it, we want to accumulate it, we want to hold it, right? Uh, but when we are faithful according to the principles of scripture, then it builds up godly character. We become more Christ-like, right? So handling money faithfully builds character. Uh, secondly, it leads to contentment. So faithfulness leads to contentment. If we know what God is responsible for and we know uh, and we faithfully do our part, uh, then we will be content, right? Uh, and uh, as Paul says, right, he in Philippians 4.19, we talked about this earlier, that he has learned, to, uh, the Paul says that he has learned to be content because, um, you know, he knew that God would supply all his needs, okay? And he had been faithful in what God had given him, all right? So the uh, uh, the results of being a faithful steward. So, Let's go back to what we've talked about today. Uh, number one is God's part, right? And uh, and I know that that I'm not jumping ahead to all the questions that you wanted to answer, answer necessarily. We'll we'll get to all those questions. Don't worry. After, uh, but uh, but the, again, I said we'll keep coming back to these principles. Okay, and and the answer to every question will will come back to these principles. Every question that you have, uh, you know, what is God's role in money? Right. Number one, he's the owner, right, of everything. Number two, 
He's in control of everything. Number three, you know, he is the provider. Okay, Jehovah Jireh. He is the provider. He has promised to provide for us, right? What is our role? Our role is no matter how much God has given us, right? We are to be faithful, right? Whether he's given us a little or he's given us a lot, whether he's given us five talents or one talent, you know, 20,000 or two lakhs a month, it doesn't matter. Okay, you are called to be faithful, you know, and he who has much, okay, he, he will, much will be required of him. Okay, so, so God is looking for more from people who have been given more, obviously. Okay, but he looks for uh, a similar amount of faithfulness, even from the person to whom little has been given, right? Which is why, you know, when you, when we, uh, why everybody has to study uh, this, um, these principles for handling money, because it's not just, you know, it's not just that if you have above a certain threshold, you know, you need to apply these principles. No matter how little you have or how much you have, you know, these principles are equally applicable. Okay? So what will happen if we apply these principles? We're going to talk about how do you uh, apply this in terms of debt? How do you apply this in terms of giving? How do you apply it in terms of spending? How will you, uh, uh, you know, how do you apply it in terms of saving, right? So when we apply these principles, you know, we will, uh, we will begin to get out of debt. Okay? We will stop becoming... Uh, slaves to debt, uh, we will give even more generously. And, and you can uh, trust me when I say this, that, that God will, uh, when, you, uh, when you follow these principles, God will bless you to the extent that you can be more generous than you ever imagined. Okay? Um, we will spend more wisely. Okay? So we will make every spending decision a spiritual decision. We will think about, we will actually make it a spiritual decision by making it a prayerful decision okay uh, we shouldn't go around spending money without first praying about it, okay and seeking the lord's will um you know and then we will start saving so somebody asks is it good is it okay to plan and save yes it's okay to plan and save but but there's always a but okay we'll come to that but uh, you know in a couple of weeks maybe all right so we will start saving for our future goals and then of course the overarching thing is we will learn to be content with our circumstance. Whether that circumstance is beyond 20,000 or 2 lakhs, we'll be content. Whether it's, you know, we have a great job, with very stable job, or we don't have a stable job, we will be content. Okay, this situation that's going on now, uh, you know, even people thought that their jobs were highly stable. You know, they're finding that it's not. Okay, some, uh, uh, what is it, 20 million people in the US in just the last four weeks have lost their jobs and, filing for unemployment. I don't think any of those people thought that they were going to be without a job, right? So these circumstances can change in a moment, right? And as I said, we are, uh, we are studying this so that we will learn to be content. And when you apply these principles, when you apply these, uh, the principles we talked about as far as God being the owner and God uh, controlling everything and God being the provider, you know, then automatically we will be content with whatever our circumstances. Okay. What is man's way? Man's way is uh, dealing with money is that you earned your money. Now you can spend it any way you choose and, and you will be happy, right? It's like the, the rich fool. You know, he says, I'm going to tear down these barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll sit back and say to my soul, soul, uh, you have stored up plenty. Be, you know, eat, drink and be merry, right? And God says, you fool. This night your life will be required. of you. What's God's way is that you can only be content if you have been a faithful steward handling money from the Lord's perspective. Now, how do you get out of this, this constant worry about money? How do you get out of the always desire for more and more and more? Okay, how do you free yourself of that? That can become a bondage. 
sometimes, okay, because it causes tension at work because, you know, we always want more money, right? We start looking for this job or that job or we're not happy with this or that or, uh, you know, and we just cause more, te- it just causes more tension in our life, right? But if we follow these principles, then we will learn to be content, right? And uh, uh, you can only be content if you have been a faithful steward handling money from the Lord's perspective. Okay. So we're not going to talk about debt today. We'll talk about that. It's a very important topic. So we won't rush through it. We'll go through it slowly and try to do that next week. Uh, I will uh, I will just stop now and uh, okay. I guess uh, we'll all break and go to lunch.